My name is Jason Buss. I'm a member here at Faith Westwood United Methodist Church. If this is your first time worshiping, I uh, want to welcome you. I also want to encourage you to come back and listen to Pastor Steve preach sometime. I think it will be a blessing to you. I'd like to start us off with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to live in a country that has so many freedoms. And thank you for the, the blessings of the men and women who are willing to sacrifice their lives so that we can have this freedom. And Heavenly Father, I, I want to ask for peace. I want to ask for peace in this world. And I especially want to lift Manchester, England up and ask for peace and healing for that city. There are families who are, are mourning a terrible loss. A senseless act of violence took so many lives. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you be with that city to heal those families, to give all of us that sense of peace, that sense of belonging, that sense that brings us together and not drives us apart. Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with us this morning and with us always. We ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. A few months ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who happens to be a pastor. I've known this gentleman for a long time. And I was lamenting, for lack of a better word, that my sermons were getting a little stale. Well, it was a great message. It's a message I really, really believed in. It kind of was starting to be the same message over and over again. And he looked at me and he said, all you've been doing is preaching from the New Testament, isn't it? And I kind of, yeah. He said, preach from the Old Testament a little bit and then come talk to me. So today, we're going to learn a little bit about Samson and Delilah. But I don't think we can look at just that story. I don't think we get the whole story if, if we just focus on the verses that were read today. President Trump was in the Middle East recently. He was, he was talking with the Palestines and the Israelites and trying to come to a, some agreement that these people can live together in peace. And while it's a noble cause, and it's a cause that I think we should strive for, it's really important to understand how we got to this point in time. If you look at the book of Judges, change a couple facts here and there, and it could be very well reading CNN.com or a newspaper. Those stories, those conflicts have been with us for a long, long time. If we jump back to Judges chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is a story we've heard again and again in the Bible. The Lord is trying to, to guide and correct the Israelites to set them on the right path. And again, the Israelites were rebelling against the Lord. So at this time, if we, we zoom down 
into one man and one woman. Manaho and his wife desperately wanted a child, and they were praying to the Lord for a child. It may be a prayer that you have prayed sometime in your life. Maybe a prayer you're praying right now. And this couple was praying, and then one day the wife was out in the field, and the angel came to her. And he's, the angel said, I've got great news. You're going to have a son. And the wife was excited, and the angel said, And I need you to do me a couple favors. No grapes. Only eat kosher food because your son is going to be raised as a Nazarite. Well, she was excited, and she ran back to her husband. And she told her husband all this great news. We're going to have a son. We're going to raise him as a Nazarite. This is going to be great, and he's going to be the ruler of Israel. And the, the husband said, we're going to have a son. This is awesome. We're going to raise him as a Nazarite. Wait, well, what? See, that wasn't a normal thing. Normally, uh, you would take a, a Nazarite vow. You, it would normally last somewhere around 30 days. And, and you would not eat any grapes or have any fermented food. You would only eat kosher food. You wouldn't have any haircuts or shave. And you couldn't touch, touch dead bodies. And this would last for normally around 30 days. To raise a child from birth as a Nazarite was a little outside of the norm. So the husband said, I need some clarification. I need a little guidance here. So he went and he prayed and the angel came back to the wife again working in the field. And the wife this time took her back to her husband. And the husband was like, now, are you sure we're raising this kid as an Nazarite? The angel was like, yep. And, and he's going to be the ruler. And he's like, yep. And he's like, all right. And he took him on his word. A few months later, Samson was born. And Samson grew, and he grew into a young man, and he started to long for what most young men want, and that was a wife. So he went down to Timnah, and he found a young woman, fell in love, he said, this is the girl for me. And he went home, and he told his mom and dad, you've got to arrange this marriage for me. I found the girl for me. And mom and dad went, um, Samson, we've raised you as a, as a Nazarite, and you're, you're an Israel, Israelite, and, and anyone from Timnah is a Philistine, and we really don't do that kind of thing around here. Samson insisted, and if you've ever tried to argue with young love, you know that, that their parents were fighting a, a futile battle, so they agreed. They, they packed up their bags and, and headed down to Timnah. Now, during this time, a, a lion jumped out and attacked Samson. And it says that the strength of the Lord came upon Samson, and he killed the lion, went on his way. Mom and Dad got their marriage all arranged. They went back home. A few weeks later, Samson headed down for a seven-day party. There was a seven-day party before you were married. These people knew how to party, man. 
This was great. Samson was excited. He was walking down, though. He got a little curious, and he wanted to see what that lion carcass that was still there, and he kind of looked around and found it, and bees had come in and, and made a hive. And so Samson scooped out this honey, and he was eating it on the way, and we got there, he gave it to his mom and dad. Now, being a Nazarite, honey's a kosher food, all good. Other than Samson knew he wasn't supposed to touch dead bodies. He really didn't say anything about it, though. The party got started, and Samson, who was a little bit on the ornery side, he decided to make a bet. And there were 30 men who were at this party with him, and he said, I will bet you 30 sets of clothes. I'll give each one of you a set of clothes if you can solve my riddle. But if you can't solve my riddle within seven days, then you, I get 30 sets of clothes. Samson was confident he would never have to pay this bet. He was maybe just a little bit on the arrogant side. So he gave him the riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Well, the men were trying to figure out this riddle and couldn't, couldn't get anywhere, and so they went to Samson's bride I said, have Samson tell us the answer to this riddle. And so she asked Samson, he said, tell me, tell me what the answer is. And Samson said, I haven't even told my mom and dad what the, what the situation of this was. I'm not telling you. And so for seven days, she cried, which I'm sure was just great fun for Samson. Here he was trying to celebrate his wedding, and he was dealing with a bride who was constantly crying, wanting to know the answer. On the seventh day, he finally said, fine, I'll tell, I'll tell you the story. Here's what happened. Well, she, in turn, went out, told the men, and at the very last hour, the men came to Samson and said, we've got the answer to your riddle. Needless to say, this didn't make Samson very happy. So much so that he became so angry, he went out and he killed 30 men, stripped them naked to pay his bet. This time, he was pretty angry. He was pretty frustrated. So he went back. He went back home. Once he'd calmed down a little bit, he realized that he did love this woman. What he didn't realize was that the father of the bride decided that Samson had given up on his, his uh, bride, and so he gave the woman to another man to be married. Samson went back and, where's, where's my wife? I, I went to see my wife, and he found out this story that, that she was married off, and again Samson got angry. And he went and he caught 30 foxes, tied their tails together, stuck a torch in between, and let them loose, burning all the vineyards and all the fields, devastating the Philistines. Now, 
Samson realized what he did, and when the Philistines found out, they were none too happy. First of all, they went up to the, the father and the bride and killed them both. Now, at this point, Samson decided he maybe should get out of town for a little while. He went down to a cave, and he was hanging out down there. The Philistines gathered together a huge army and went and camped out in front of the Israelites. The Israelites, and remember, the Philistines were ruling the Israelites at the time. The Israelites went back to the Philistines, and they said, Why are you getting ready to attack us? What have we done? The Philistine says, All we want to Samson. Give us Samson, we'll be on our way. Now, the Israelites didn't necessarily want to give over Samson, but they weren't really in the mood for a huge battle either. They went down to Samson. Samson said, as long as you don't kill me and turn me over, I'll go peacefully. They tied up Samson. They took him out to the Philistines. When Samson saw the Philistines, again, he became angry, and he picked up the jawbone of a donkey and went and killed a thousand of the Philistines. But Samson being Samson, that wasn't quite enough for him. He decided to go ahead and mock them. With a donkey's jawbone, I made a donkey of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Needless to say, uh, Samson was not the Philistines' favorite guy. He did win a lot of favor with the Israelites, though. And for the next 20 years... Samson ruled Israel. Now, I would love to tell you that Samson settled down, found a nice Israelite woman, lived a peaceful life ruling Israel. I can't tell you that story. In the verse right before the one we read this morning, in Judges 16, uh, verses 1 through 4, Samson goes down to Gaza, finds a prostitute, spends the night with her. When the Philistines found out about this, they decided that they were going to kill him in the morning. Samson decides to get up early, figures out what's going on, goes out to the city gate, rips them off the wall, and goes and sticks them up on the hill. may not be a new idea to have a ruler or a leader who, who maybe isn't the most ideal person in the world. May not be a, a new idea to, to have someone in charge not focused on the right thing. If we looked at today's Bible reading without knowing the history, we may have felt a little sorry for Samson. I mean, here's Samson. He fell in love with this girl, and she's just trying to manipulate him, and, and Samson's just trying to protect himself, and here he gets caught in this trap. But I don't think that's the whole story. Samson was a big part of this story. Samson got himself into quite a bit of trouble. Samson was willingly paying the price of going outside of God's will. Now, Samson was God's chosen ruler. And God showed Samson great favor. God got Samson out of a lot of trouble. 
And Samson was no saint. He liked to drink, visit prostitutes. Lust got him in trouble time and time again. And he had a little bit of a temper problem. And even through all of that, God still used him. I often wonder what this story would have been like if Samson aligned himself more with God. Would God have shown Samson even more favor? I don't know. Now, Delilah wasn't innocent in any of this either. She had given up on love. She'd given up on love because of greed. She was being offered a lot of money to betray her partner. I'm sure that wasn't easy for her. I wonder if it wasn't just the money, though. I wonder if it wasn't the power as well. She was having this power over Samson to get him to tell her things, to be able to manipulate him to get her way. And I wonder, being a woman, to have a group of men come to her saying, we need your help, how much did that feed into her ego? How much did that lust for power drive her? Well, what about us? What's keeping us separated from God? Is it your sexual desires? And is it, is it even just flirting with that person in the office? Oh, nothing will ever happen of it. It's completely innocent. I'm not going to cross the line. I'm just going to walk right, right up close to the line, but I'll never, never go over it. Or is it money? I went to a conference and heard a story that really struck me. The gentleman said that you have to know your price. What price do you, is it going to take for you to cross the line? And he said for him, he knew it was at least $10 million. He was a minority partner in a partnership. He owned 45% of a company, and his partner owned 55%. And the majority partner took, uh, put his son in charge. And the son started double billing clients. And he said, I knew I could never live with myself, and I had to call this young man out. But he knew if he did, he would lose everything. In the end, he couldn't look himself in the mirror, and he walked away from $10 million. How much money would it take for you to cross the line? And maybe money is just an ends to a means. Maybe it's not the money that drives you, but the power. Having the big corner office, big desk, oak conference table. People coming to you all the time. You are the answer guy. So you had to step on a couple people to get there. Right, ends justify the means. What is it that is separating you from God? Is it things? Is it stuff? A few weeks ago, I bought a new camera. It's my first DSLR camera. 
it's really cool. It's got all kinds of buttons and settings, most of which I have no idea what to do with. Last few weeks, I have read more stuff about this camera than you could ever imagine. And YouTube, I've watched so many YouTube videos about this camera, about the settings, about composure and ISO and f-stops and all this cool stuff. Now, I'm not saying that, that we can't enjoy the world. God created the world for us to enjoy. But we have to set boundaries. We have to set priorities. How delighted would God be with me if I would have spent a quarter of the amount of time that I've spent over the last three weeks studying my Bible and being in prayer? What is it that is separating you from God? Now, I'm not saying that, that we're all called to be perfect. We're all sinners. We're all living a life of sin. But just because we shouldn't, uh, we're not striving towards getting better, that doesn't let us off the hook. And nor does it matter what the next guy is doing. If you're looking at yourself and saying, well, I'm not, I'm not near as bad as that guy over there. The things that he's doing, I would never do. So I'm all right. Did you see what that woman just did? Oh, that's, that's terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. How much more could God use us? How much better would the world be if we allowed God to use us? There is a saying that goes around my office, and it gets said quite a bit. Don't let perfect be the enemy of better. Don't let perfect be the enemy of better. How easy is it for us to say, I'll say yes to God as soon as I get all of my stuff figured out. I've got all these issues and so much going on in my life, and, and I will, God, I'll be there for you. Just, just give me a minute. We'll never get all of our issues straightened out. There will always be something coming up. We'll never be the perfect us because we can always be better. But what would it look like if each one of us decided to take one step closer to God? Not change the world, not, not re-transform ourselves, no matter where you are, one step closer to God. What would that do? How would that change us? How would that change the people around us? And you may be saying, all right, I'm going to do it. Whatever it is for you, wherever you're at, today I'm going to commit to take that one step a little bit closer to God. Know this, you'll probably take a step back at some point. You'll probably fail. You'll probably get a little further away from God. But that's okay. That's okay because we're a forgiven people. It's the awesome thing about being a Christian. We're a forgiven people. 
We get to have a loving relationship with the creator of the universe. He understands we're not perfect. He forgives us, yet he longs for us to be closer. God wants to use you wherever you are. God wants to be in that relationship with you wherever you are. How much better would your life be, though, if you just took that one little step closer? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are living in this imperfect world, and we're imperfect beings. And I pray that you just put it on our hearts to just be a little closer to you, to draw ourselves in just a little bit to that loving relationship that you're calling us into. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you pour it upon our hearts this morning. I ask this in your Son's name. Amen.